Our text for today will be Luke chapter 1, verses 34 to 45. Luke chapter 1, verses 34 to 45. We'll pray before we read that. Please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we read in the Holy Scriptures that all flesh is grass, and like the grass, this flower shall fade, that the life of man shall pass away, that the words of men shall fall, but that the word of God will stand forever. We pray, Father, that you would bless your word to us this day. Father, may we be given ears that hear. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 34, picking up, of course, from where we were at last time we were in the Gospel of Luke, which I think was two weeks ago. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Amen. May God bless his word to us. We live in an age and a time where people would like to, if possible, deny miracles, to deny any such thing as the power of the supernatural. And it's infected the church and many churches and many Christians. And so... Usually it actually starts at creation. They reject the concept of a six-day creation followed by a day of God's rest. They They reject the idea that God created simply by his word, simply according to his will, in six days, all of the physical universe that you and I know and all that dwell in and inhabit it. And what we're reading about here tonight is basically another act of creation and it's spoken of in such a way that Luke wants us to remember that God is the creator. When it comes to the idea of miracles and the supernatural, the reply in terms of logic is this. If there is a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty, and ever-present, of course, he can do miracles. And in a way, it's not miraculous. This creation is his creation. Every molecule, every atom is his creation. That his creation should obey his will is hardly miraculous. But 
people get very uncomfortable with the concept of the miraculous. In the early 1900s, particularly in the USA, but the same debates happened here in Australia, there was great argument about what was called liberal theology and what came to be called fundamentalist theology. Now, at first it was basically an argument about those who believe the scripture and those who do not. And one of the very first things that the liberals attacked was this concept, this idea of a virginal conception, a virgin birth. It is impossible. It does not happen, was basically what they said. And anyone who believes in it is a simpleton and ignorant, easily convinced of nonsense and foolishness. And those who were called the fundamentalists fought back. We believe in God. We believe that which God says to us in his word, the scriptures. We believe that Jesus was indeed conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of God. When we read Genesis 1, we find in the very introduction, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, we find that God's Holy Spirit hovered over the earth, that God's Holy Spirit was there on the face of the earth, hovering over the face of the earth. And it would appear that Luke is here using language that is meant to send us back there to understand something. God is doing a creative work. God is doing a work that reveals his glory to his people. God is doing a work for his purposes with his creation. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? She was no fool. She was no um, easily fooled believer in nonsense miracles. Now, there are nonsense miracles, okay? Most of what is claimed to be a healing in Pentecostal churches is surely nonsense. And furthermore, if there's anything supernatural about it, I would say it is demonically supernatural. The claiming of most of those the claim of most of those miracles is rubbish and nonsense. And, I'm, you know, here in Australia, we, we, we often speak or we often hear them speak of great works being done in Africa. Well, I've got friends who are Christians in Africa, pastors and elders of churches. And when I ask them, are these miracles happening over there? They just laugh. Well, are they happening in your country? No. Well, what would make you think they're happening in ours? Well, it's far off, you see. It's always somewhere else. <laughs> That's why they claim they're happening over there. Mary was no fool, no gullible idiot. She knew how children were conceived. How will this be since I am a virgin? Since I have not been with a man, since I know not a man? <coughs> the answer is given by the angel, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. What exactly does that mean? In a way, I'm not certain. Other than that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, was going to cause the virgin to conceive a child. And that child was to be called Holy, the Son of God. 
He's not the product of normal generation. Though through Mary he is indeed descended from the line of Adam and Eve, and though through Mary we could indeed say that he is the seed of the woman, yet he is to be called the Son of God. Though by legal reckoning in his day he was considered to be the son of Joseph, for Joseph raised him as his own, yet he was indeed wholly the son of God. God used Mary and God used presumably an egg from the body of Mary and God made that egg a living, breathing, eventually, upon birth, human. God gave life where life there was not. The child to be born will be called holy. Turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. To us a child is born. This signifies a baby. To us, to us a gift is, the gift is a baby, a child. To us a son is is given. Whose son? Whose son? Well, he's not actually the son of Joseph, though he was reckoned to be the son of Joseph. He's the son of God. He's the one sent forth from God the Father. He's the one who makes the Father known. He's the eternal word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. He's the God. He's the only begotten son who is in the Father's bosom. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten Son, he has made him known. In all that happens in our lives, in all that happens in our day-to-day lives, how often do we pass over this and forget what an amazing thing the incarnation is? It's amazing in terms of the miraculous power that God sent forth. It's not amazing that God could do it. It's more amazing that God would do it. It's not, as I said, it's not amazing that God could do it. He is God. It's his creation. Every cell of our bodies is his creation. Every cell of Mary's body was his creation. It's amazing that God would do it. That God would send forth his son in the form of a man. That God the son would become an unborn baby in the womb of the Virgin Mary that God the Son would accept the mission, the role, the calling, the sending of God the Father, that a people would would be redeemed from their sins and called for salvation into a relationship with the living God. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Picking up our reading in Philippians chapter 2 at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. My friends, we many often we sing amazing grace. We ought be amazed at that which God would do through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, we're told that God bought the church with his own blood. The blood of this one who is conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary is the purchase price of sinners like you and I. It's amazing that God would do this. You can look at creation and if you can look at creation with honest eyes and a humble heart, you can see that there is a God. You can see that he is mighty. You can see the genius of God revealed in his creation. You can see the mighty works of his hand. You can appreciate the beauty of the things that he has done. You can appreciate order. Isn't it amazing? All of us have roughly, basically, the same ideas concerning beauty and order. All of us. We go to a particular lookout and look across God's creation. We go to the mountain here, just south of Kuma. All of us at the same lookout. And all of us stand there with the same expression upon our faces as we scan. We can see around about 100 kilometres. We can see snow-capped mountains in the peaks. We can see the patchwork of fields. We can see the forests that are down lower than us, the great green belts of forest, the colours. And all of us have that same feeling. We're looking at something beautiful. We're looking at something wonderful. And all of those things, for anyone who is honest, tell them something about God who creates. But think carefully. Do those things tell them that God would send forth his son, born of a woman, humbled to death upon a cross, that God's Son, who is himself God, co-equal and co-eternal with God, sharing in all the powers and the attributes of God. As long as there has been God, God has been Father, Son and Holy Spirit. There was never a time when God was not Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That is the very nature of God, Trinity, Trinitarian, Three being one, one subsisting as three. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, creation can't tell you that. God himself reveals that. God himself speaks that. God himself has done that. God's Holy Spirit must open the heart to receive that. 
God loves his people so much that he would send his only son. God's only son loves the people so much that he would shed his precious blood. God's Holy Spirit loves the people of God so much that he, by the exercise of his power, would bring these things to be. As I said, how often do we read these things? How often do you read through the Gospels of Mark and Luke and Matthew and John and not be amazed? I know I do it, so I'm trusting that you do it too. Not be amazed by what it is that we just read. It's not that God could do it that is so deeply amazing. It is that God would do it that is so deeply amazing. Back into the Gospel of Luke. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, Mary did not seek a sign, but Mary was immediately given a sign. The sign was that her barren relative is now no longer barren, but has conceived, is bearing a child. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing, no, not a thing. Can sinners be made holy? Yes. By the power of God's Holy Spirit, according to the work of God's Son, they can be. Can Gentile idolaters be saved? Yes, through the work of God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And so Mary now knows, basically, that two miracles are being worked and that God is working his creative power to bring about his ultimate ends. And she has been chosen, elected, put in place by God for this very purpose at this very time. It was no great place in Jewish society at that time to be living in the area of Nazareth and to be betrothed to a carpenter slash builder. You know, she wasn't high up in the social circles. But God had prepared her for that time, for that moment. He had called her to that place. God had a plan. Mary's response is the response of obedience, the response of worship. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Bond servant could be used and straight out slave. Behold, I am the slave of the Lord, the slave of Yahweh. I am the slave of my God. I submit totally to the will of God. Why was she ready to do that? Because she had been prepared to do that by God himself. This is a faithful, believing girl. We'll find out as we work our way through her song of praise that Mary knows and loves the Holy Scriptures. 
And it's the people of God who know and love the Holy Scriptures. When you find someone who is truly submitted to the will of God, you're finding someone in whom God has done a work of grace, a saving work. No one is submitted to the will of God other than the people God has saved for his own purposes. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. May it happen. Just exactly as you have said, may it happen. And the angel departed from her. Looking at verse 39, in those days, Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Mary wanted company. And it's not surprising. She hadn't been put into an easy position. She hadn't been put into an easy position. The people of God, we don't always get put into easy positions, into simple places. You see, remember that question she asked back at verse 34? How will this be since I am a virgin? What question is going to be asked? Indeed, it was asked by Joseph himself. When it is found that she is with child. (laughs) How can this be, Mary? Yet you claim to be a virgin. How can this be, Mary? Yet you claim to be a virgin. And so the young girl who had received the gift of being mother of the Messiah immediately seeks fellowship with, if I could use the phrase, the old girl who had been given the gift of bringing into the world the forerunner of the Messiah, the old girl who has conceived also miraculously. Elizabeth, we're led to believe, was very much like Sarah, The way of women had finished in her life. She had no reason to expect to be fertile. Yet, miraculously, she conceived. And Mary runs, as it were, makes haste to get there with that person, Elizabeth. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leapt in her womb. John the Baptist comes into contact with his saviour for the first time. Let's make much of this idea that he leapt in her womb. He leapt. His saviour was there. His Lord had come near. The one whom he had been dedicated to serve indeed with his life, even to death, was in his very presence. It's a very unusual happening. I don't claim that it's a usual happening for a baby to have been saved in the womb, for a baby to have been set apart as the Lord's servant from the womb. Not normal, not usual. You can't build doctrine on unusual happenings. Even so, this is what the Lord has done. John the Baptist, for the very first time in the presence of his God, And Saviour leaps in her womb. He worships. He worships. Though unborn, yet he worships. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The work and the power of God's Holy Spirit. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Well, many things happen when people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they get angry and fight great battles. Sometimes people are filled with the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, they speak languages that they have not before learnt. But other people know them. They're real languages, by the way. Sometimes people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they prophesy, speaking things that they would not know other than by the power of God. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, very loudly, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. It's actually a reference back to the book of Deuteronomy. At chapter 28, 4, we read, Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Is Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 4, a particular messianic prophecy? No, it's not. But something does not have to be a particular messianic prophecy in Scripture to have a particular messianic application. And Elizabeth here applies the phrase, the fruit, of the, the fruit of your womb. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you among women. What does that mean? Why is she blessed? Well, to the Jewish mind, any wife who had conceived a child was blessed. It was, after all, the reason that you married, to raise up offspring, to fill the earth in obedience to the will of God. But the desire... The desire of the Jews to bring forth the Messiah, the desire of a Jewish woman to know that she was mother of the Saviour. Wow. Blessed are you among women. Blessed are you, Mary. God has chosen you. The son of David is to be born of you. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is, it, is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You see, none of these people expected that God had to do anything in particular for them. That's the attitude of humility. The people of God do not demand that God jumps according to their demands, according to their desires. The people of God are willing to receive that which God gives them or does not give them. It's interesting in the list of gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians, one of the gifts is poverty. Poverty, the spiritual gift. You know, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a great craze. When I first became a Christian, it was 1990, I think, 1991, and, you know, the whole sort of the Pentecostal thing, the charismatic thing, it was whipping through churches, and even though the church I was attending was not outwardly or openly calling itself Pentecostal or charismatic, yet all the Christians around about me were all worrying about what their gifts of the Spirit were. And I never heard anyone say, Lord, I thank you for the gift of poverty. Elizabeth, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Notice that Mary is the mother of my Lord. In um, the Creed of Chalcedon, we're told that we, the phrase used is Mary, the mother of God. And people wonder where that comes from. Well, it comes from here in the Gospel of Luke at chapter 1. The mother of my Lord. Now, who does Elizabeth worship? 
Remember, Elizabeth is a worshipper of God. We're told earlier that Elizabeth is considered to be just. Back at Luke chapter 1, verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. God considered them to be righteous. They had been justified by faith. God considered them to be his people. A righteous person in the sight of God has no other God than God himself. And Elizabeth says, the mother of my Lord should come to me. And she says this by the power of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if Elizabeth realised what an amazing thing she had just said. Remember, the power of God that God could do this is in a way... Not surprising. If God is God and you accept that there is a God who created the universe, it's not surprising that the creator God has the power to do this. That God would do this is amazing. And Elizabeth says, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? By the power of God's Holy Spirit, she realises that the baby in the womb of Mary is God incarnate, God with flesh, God having taken upon himself the form of a man, God the son of David, God the son of God. My Lord should come to me, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. He leapt for joy. And so worship is, in the providence of God, a catching disease. God miraculously allows Elizabeth to conceive a baby who from the womb was to be filled with the Holy Spirit according to the word of the angel. The baby comes into the presence of the Lord and worships and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit having caught the, caught the disease, as it were, or having caught the um, fire, as it were, through God's work in the baby in her own womb. It's a catching disease, my friends. We spread the faith among the people around about us. People are inspired by one another. People are strengthened by the fellowship of the saints. People are strengthened by sharing the testimony of God's goodness and grace. Saints get stronger when saints are drawn together. The baby in my womb leapt for joy. Verse 45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And here we can find something of a definition of faith. Something of a definition of faith. What do I mean by that? Asking people whether they believe in God or not, whether they believe in Jesus or not, is one thing. As I've already said, if, if a person were truly honest to the heart, they could look at creation and believe there is a God. They could believe that there is a God. And for someone to say they believe in Jesus, well, you know, for any of you young folk here who've been raised in a church environment, what did people want to hear you say all your lives? You know, they really wanted to hear you say you believed in Jesus. 
And it's not a bad thing to hear you say you believe in Jesus, by the way. My children said they believed in Jesus. And every time I heard it, my heart was warmed. It's a good thing. But we're now talking about matters of salvation. We're now talking about matters of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're now talking about something to do with Christian maturity. It's one thing to say you believe in God, to say that you believe in Jesus. But what about simply believing God? What about simply believing the word that you have received from God? What about simply believing Jesus? Believing what God says to us through Jesus. What about simply believing those things? There's a test. There's a test. It's a test of our faith. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary believed in God. Mary believed in the coming Messiah. Mary believed the word that was preached to her by the angel Gabriel. She believed the word that came to her from God. She trusted the word of God that the promises of God were to find fulfilment through her being the mother of the son of David, the Messiah, the Saviour, the one to be king forever and ever of whose kingdom there would be no end. You see, believing in God is good. Believing in the Saviour is good. Believing the words of God such that you set your life at the command of God and actually do the things that God requires of you, that's faith. That's where faith is. Faith is not just believing in. Faith is simply believing the word that has been given. And in a way, we have so much more than Mary was ever given. Mary did not have Matthew to Revelation. Mary had Genesis to Zechariah. I'm sorry, Genesis to Malachi is the way we would say it. Mary had the Old Testament, Mary had the promises, Mary had the types, Mary had the preaching of the prophets, Mary had the Psalms, and Christ can be found in all of these places when one reads in faith. She didn't have the explicit gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and on it goes, all the way to the book of Revelation. She believed the word that was spoken to her. Okay, and look at what was involved in believing. The Apostle Paul uses a phrase in the book of Romans, obedience from the heart. He uses it at both the start in Romans chapter 1 and he uses it at the end in Romans chapter 16. Obedience from the heart. Obedience from the heart is, is faith being lived out, doing that which was commanded, shunning sin, pursuing righteousness, turning away from that which is not of God, turning toward that which comes to us from God. This is faith. 
Faith and works are never alone. I'm sorry, are never apart. Saving faith is never alone. Saving faith is always accompanied by the works that are the fruit of saving faith and the evidence of saving faith. Mary was blessed because she put herself, soul, mind and body, in the service of God, irregardless of what the world around her had to say, irregardless of the fact that many would scorn her. You know, in in the Gospel of John, we're told that the Jews asked the question of Jesus. At one point they said, and who is your father? You realise that's a very disrespectful question, especially in that day and age. They'd heard some rumours. They'd heard something about the virgin conception of Jesus and they scorned and mocked. Virgin birth doesn't happen, has never happened. How could such a thing possibly happen? What a nicely invented lie. What a nicely invented lie. The stupid little girl went and got herself pregnant. She said it was a miracle from the Holy Spirit and that fool Joseph was dumb enough to believe her. That was the attitude of unbelief. All of this was before Mary as she sets herself soul, mind and body at the service of her God and her King. There was a price to be paid for being the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, it's Mary who was told that um, a heart would pierce, a sword would pierce her own heart also. She would see him crucified. She would see him put to death. I mean, we all build so much of our lives into our children, don't we? You know, all of us, anyone here who's got children, you put so much hope into your children. So much, there's so much love laid on the line with your children. You hope the best for them. You want the best for them. You're always looking for the best from them. Sometimes we even blind ourselves to their faults. So much is our love for them. Do you think it was any different for Mary? If anything, it was even more. Why? Because an angel had told her that this child that was conceived would be called Holy, the Son of God. This child was conceived by the power of God's Holy Spirit. This child was the beginning of the new creation. And there are things in the Gospels that indicate to us that it took a while for Mary to understand just exactly how it was that God was accomplishing the salvation of the saints. Remember Mary and the brothers of our Lord, they turned up one day when he was preaching and tried, they were basically trying to tell him, give up. You're doing this the wrong way. You're making friends with the weak and the unfamous. You're making friends with the kind of people that can't help the Messiah take over the world. What do you think you're doing? And you're making enemies of the rich and the famous. You're making enemies of those who do have influence. What do you think you're doing? She saw her son, remember, she is the mother of the Lord, die upon a cross. She saw him put to death and she knew that he was innocent. She knew the heart of her son. He was not a son like any other son. Remember, 
he was guilty of no sin. Tested in all things like as we, yet committing no sin. So there was a time when he could have given his parents a mouthful of cheek. He was tested in all things like as we, yet he did not. He was a son like no other. There was a price to be paid for putting yourself completely and utterly at the service of God, being indeed the slave of Yahweh the Most High. My friends, the challenge is before you and I. It's a challenge that we face every day. The world says, turn away. Satan says, give up. It's not worth the effort. The flesh says, pursue your desires. Why worry? Have fun today. God says, believe the word that you have been given and put yourself, mind, body and soul at my service. There is a price to be paid. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow after me. In other words, condemn yourself to death. Give up on having any great thing in this life in order that we may have something great in the next life, which is eternal life in the presence of the Son of God, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may look upon the very face of God and worship at his feet. And so there's the challenge to each and every one of us. Believe that which God has spoken and set yourself no higher calling than to be the slave of God. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, may we indeed be amongst those who believe the word that has been given. May our minds and our hearts be willing to receive your scriptures for what they are, the very words of God, that we may faithfully consider these things, think your thoughts after you and obey your word as is fitting for your servants. Let our hearts be filled with true and pure faith. And if there be crosses to carry, let us not be cowards that shrink away. But Father, may we practice obedience from the heart. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.